You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm rolling sound. I'm rolling video. 11, 7. And in 3, 2. Hey, FemFam. <clears throat> we are back in the network studios with another fantastic guest. And that means if you're currently listening on your favorite <laughs> podcast platform, you should also head over to our YouTube at FemRegard Productions to see the fabulous video footage that we're getting today. Like I said, we have a fantastic guest. Carolina will introduce him in just a moment. But I want to remind you, we oftentimes have video on YouTube. It's not every episode. Sometimes it's just if it's a special guest or whatever the case may be. So don't forget to subscribe because that's how you're going to see all of that. Yes. And we are honored to have been contacted by Ken Lee from Michael Weiss Productions for the very special guest we have on the show today. This award-winning television director is Dan Adias. And he is here to also talk to us today about his new book, Directing Great Television, Inside TV's New Golden Age. And we're very excited about it. Yes. And as always, of course, we're going to have a little special segment for you Patreon subscribers at the very end. Oh, yeah. So if you don't know what that means, basically, you can go to patreon.com slash femregard and subscribe, I guess is the right word to us for $5 a month or higher tiers if you want to get some extra cool prizes. But $5 will get you exclusive footage, behind the scenes footage, all that kind of stuff every single month. Yes. So without further ado, we're in the studio live with Dan. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm <laughs> delighted to be here with you. We are delighted to have we you here. So we love these in-guest sessions. It's always a treat for us. And we hope the guest too. You know, how have you been doing since the pandemic? Are you back full time in studios? Yeah, it's uh, well, I took about a year off. It was funny. I was in the middle of <clears throat> last March of 2020. I was mm-hmm. in the middle of prepping an episode of the show Billions mm-hmm. uh-huh. in New York. And two days into my prep, you know, the pandemic yeah. hit, everything shut down. I flew back to Los Angeles. And it was a year to the day, pretty much, that I flew back to New York to do the last two episodes of uh, season five of Billions. Oh my but in that in that year, one of the yeah. great benefits was that it gave me a chance to finish my book, yeah. <laughs> in great television. And uh, so that that was nice to just have that direct kind to of just focus, focus on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had something that I cared about to work on. And now pretty much, yeah, I am back to, I mean, I've done... I did three episodes of for billions, and uh, but now I'm now I'm kind of trying to promote the book. But I am very open to to full time work. 
Love that. Yeah. I know we were super excited when Ken, because Ken has been sending us a few people since he's uh, mm. the publisher. So he's, you know, promoting his books and his authors. And I saw the name of the book and I didn't see your name yet. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. This sounds like a book we would want to read anyway. And then I realized who you were. And I was like, OK, this is a great opportunity, <laughs> like, you know, because just the experiences you've had and yep. how long you've been doing it and the end products <laughs> that mm. you've made, you mm. know, or I mean, especially right now with yeah. the new movie coming out, the buzz for The Sopranos is like, you know, back in full swing. But yeah, it's just really awesome to get to talk to you today. And I'm excited to hear all of the things that you've learned throughout your career, you know, mm. and what keeps you going and all that. Kind yeah, of stuff. that's like exactly what I was going to say. Reading your book, um, I really enjoyed the to the point you said the experience you had because mm. there were great anecdotes for someone who isn't an experienced filmmaker or um, director for TV or for film. Um, if you are experienced, I think you will learn a lot from this book because of the anecdotes and the experience you've had shared along the way. And you're just very like humble and you speak about the tough times and how you've worked around it. And it's just really inspiring, inspiring to hear because they're there are um, situations that we can all find ourselves in in one way or another oh, <laughs> when it comes to directing. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to demystify the process, mm -hmm. not yeah. uh, not pretend to like absolute knowledge and, oh, I always knew what I, how I was going to do it. You know, yeah. Every project is unique and, and you really have to pro approach every project, I find, kind of with beginner's mind, just like, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. Yes, yeah. and, yes. And then it's, to me, the most interesting thing is really I, I love directing so much because it's really where i can be most present with myself and really mm -hmm. uh engage with story determine what the story is that wants to be told what about it grabs me personally mm -hmm. and to do that well i think you really have to be really open and honest with yourself about who you are what you care about and uh that's what i love so much about doing it it's a process of discovery and uh and uh <laughs> It, it can lead to very exciting, exciting outcomes. Yeah. Yes. I, I love that because it kind of goes back to um, some writers that we've talked to that, you know, they always say, why am I the one to tell this story? Mm. But that applies to directing, too, because everyone has different opinions on things and life experiences and stuff. And you're going to bring that. You know, we think of like the writer is like the only one that's like creating the story, but that's obviously not the case. As a director, you're guiding it all. So you're bringing that to the set as well and to the finished <laughs> product. So, yeah, I think that's that's important yeah, that's to a, look at it yeah, that way. That's a really interesting point you make, because I think it's a common misconception. And what I hope the book kind of helps to address mm -hmm. is, you know, the story is an ever evolving thing. And it's especially in, in film of any kind. And I think directing series television has so much more in common with directing features or directing anything, then it, then it has differences. But there mm -hmm. are significant differences, which maybe we'll get into. Yeah. But the main thing is that uh, this process for film or television is a highly collaborative process. You know, it's like there's no such thing as go film the script, filming the script. Mm -hmm, filming right. the script, what that would really be is just pictures of words on a page. <laughs> it has to be translated. It has to be interpreted. It has to be made to come alive. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that, of course, involves input from actors from all the tech technical crew from how the how the you know the director of photography sees it and but the key thing about directing which i so love about it is really a, when you are directing regardless of whether or not you wrote it which in series television i i haven't mm -hmm. uh you have to take responsibility as being the storyteller 
Now, mm-hmm. in serious television, it's an interesting challenge because you also have to serve the vision of the showrunner. But unless you find something you care about in the telling of the story, I don't, I don't think there's much chance for me to make someone else care very much about it. I have to care about it. I have to be invested in it. Almost more. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and I have to also be open to uh, discovery because I think without discovery in the moment, it just becomes, it's people sense when something's not alive. Mm-hmm. And you sense when you're watching something when something is really happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can want something to happen. You can say it happens. You can give a bunch of reasons why it happened. But unless you have the real sense of watching it happen, yeah, yeah, that's none of that other stuff matters. So the director really has to kind of uh, monitor that moment to moment. What story is getting told? What am I interested in? Am I caring about this moment? And when when one's attention lapses, that's where the work has to be done. Mm-hmm. But there's so much getting into it first in the prep period yeah. to first understand what story are we telling. That That's something people tend not to really kind of think about. They, they watch something, oh, that's the story. The writers wrote the story. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. You have to find what's, what is uh, below the surface of the events. What is the meaning of what's happening? The subtext yeah. of everything yeah. that's happening. And as the director, yeah. just as actors can bring this too, you know, it's like I, there's nothing I love more than watching an actor just kind of bring some new, new awareness into the, yeah. into the telling. But if they're not doing that, I have to assist them in that. And if I sense there's something more to explore, I have to be the one to uh, encourage them, help them find it. And it's really only the director who's making those moment to moment decisions when it's right. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, I, we're both actors first. That's how we got started. Um, And personally, as an actor, I love being directed. Mm -hmm. Like I, I love when a director has specific thoughts and ideas, even if they're like told to me in a very vague way, just having that feedback, having some, that guidance, something to to point me in a different direction or make me think of something that I didn't think of before. So, yeah. You know, one of probably the best training I got as a director was the three years I spent trying to be an actor, mm-hmm. which I did that shortly after college. And uh, and I loved that process, although I felt I was really getting in my own way more than I liked. I was very much a little too much in my head and I could be distracted easily. It wasn't until I really found directing that when I could sit behind the camera and watch others be more personally on Connected. the line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's such a joy for me when I work with actors who are trained, who have a maybe a perhaps a more fluid, open channel to what kind of arising in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so much to uh, it's such an intimate process. It should be I yeah. think, directing, and you really want need to develop trust with the actors. And the, and I think above all, the actors have to feel seen and mm-hmm. have someone with them because everybody needs guidance. We're all we're all kind of finding our way. And I and I feel that way too as a director, and that's an interesting thing I have to kind of toggle back between. Mm-hmm. It's like on the one hand, I I need to develop my vision for what the story is we're being told, and I need to, uh, you know, uh, ensure the actors that you know there's they're there. I'm I'm watching. I'm with them, and whether their choices help or detract or distract from the story we're telling, but there needs to be a connection. And I find, you know, I love that intimacy. When, I, when I'm connecting to an actor and we're trying to find something together, and maybe I see something that triggers something in uh, him or her, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I think the worst thing, and I knew this from my own experience, is uh, acting was, you know, when you're just abandoned, when you just feel you're acting in a vacuum like you just described. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible feeling. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that, for example, whenever I want to give an adjustment to an actor, one of the things I always try to do is to first recognize what they were trying, that I saw what they were trying to do. Instead of just coming in, no, 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 not that, do this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's, it's a terrible way to work because you're, you're devaluing the actor. The actor is, has likely given a lot of thought to what they're, what they've tried to do. Right. And it doesn't make them right and you right or wrong. Right. It's just their choice and you have a different take on it. And so my experience in working with actors and I have a whole chapter on He does. Book. It's really good. But, yeah, <laughs> he call, gave someone direction and that's what they wanted the whole time. They wanted I think you were the first person to actually give them. Yeah, well this was <laughs> like, a, this was a very famous actor who I'm I don't name in the book not because I think he would he would mind too much but the story was just that I, I took the job mainly to work with this particular actor, and uh, yeah, and I so looked forward to it. And uh, he was kind of an intimidating presence. And I try always to the point you made earlier. I try always to introduce myself to the actors before we show up on the set. So mm-hmm. in my prep period, I mean that's one of the one of the challenges of series television directing. You have a really short period, and you just jump in and you're directing. Yeah, yeah. And I always try to avoid, if I can, meeting the actors for the first time on the day I'm about to. It's really hard tell to tell them how to play yeah. their character. Right. You know. <laughs> so I had I had tried I had made an attempt to introduce myself to this man and uh you know he was very cool and reserved and I just had the feeling he was just looking right through me and everything I was saying you know that feeling you get when it's like oh this isn't going well. Yeah, and, it's just like, and I walked okay. away thinking you know it's like hey, what did I say did I say that oh it was so stupid you know right. he must think you know all those kind of things but I had broken the ice and we get to the first day <laughs> and uh uh, and I'm looking forward to this particular uh, scene because I I just know I have a sense of what it should be, and I think he's going to just kill it. And he we rehearse it, and it's boring and insipid. Mm. <laughs> and and I'm looking at that, and I think, okay, already I'm assuming he probably doesn't like me. Secondly, <laughs> yeah. he's got you know awards up the ever, right. whatever, and he's you know it's like, and I'm going to come and tell him, no, 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 no. So I think, well, it's just a rehearsal. We're just setting the cameras. Maybe he's saving it. And because he's like known to really bring out like oh, a, a strong performance. He's, he's, yeah. He can be, he can leave scorched earth in, in many of his performances. <laughs> Love it. And, uh, uh, and we go, he goes away, we light, we come back and we do the first take and I'm kind of mortified to see he's doing it the same way. And it wasn't telling the story and it wasn't the intention I thought the character had. And the worst thing is it was boring. It was just my intention. See, that's the other thing I'll share with you now, kind of another big thing in my book is the main question I think as a director for me to ask myself always and I encourage anyone directing is how does this make me feel mm-hmm. all, I, all I have is myself really and that's right. all we any of us really have I mean we can benefit from study and you know get get whatever you know information we can about how other people handled similar situations but ultimately how it affects me, I have to assume that's how it's going to affect the audience. And that's yeah. the only uh, barometer I have, if it's good or not. Did I think it was good? It's like I can't please someone else's standards. I can only right. please mine. So when I see something is boring or not working or my attention is wavering, yeah, that's where I know, okay, that's where we need more work. But here I am now with this situation, the first scene I'm doing with this guy, <laughs> and it's horrible. And we're already lit. And, uh, you know, and so I have to think, how can I approach him? And without going into all the details, I go into more details in the book about this particular story. But I, I came up to him and I said, you know, he was talking to somebody under his command. And and uh, he, ta- he references how when they, they had first met, he really didn't really care for him. In fact, he really 
really disliked him intensely, <laughs> but he tolerated him because there could be, he thought maybe there could be some mutual self-interest. And over the years, it had gone fine. But now in the scene he's approaching, this guy, he needs him to do something to accomplish something which he's failing at. So he's trying mm -hmm. to tell him it would be great if you could succeed at this. <laughs> and, uh, and he was he played it just kind of flatly, like took all the lines literally. You know, yeah. he was very gentle, genteel, and all that. So I I just said, what can I say to this guy? That's you know, and I just that's actable because that's mm -hmm. another thing. What's a good intention? So I just said to him, you know, and um, uh, I, I see how you're, you're what your choice here. I wonder if you could think about it a little differently. I wonder if the contempt you describe having felt for him when you first met him, mm -hmm. I wonder if you could enter the scene feeling exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and he said, very well. And he didn't say, great note, or you're full of it. He just said, very well. And uh, You're like, cool, cool, cool. We, it makes yeah. me feel really great. We, mm -hmm. we roll again, and he comes in, and suddenly there's just a chill in the room. He's terrified. Because he's looking at the guy, and the subtext became, which he made sense of, which is what I had hoped he would. He's like, you know, I never liked you. Mm -hmm. I never liked you. And, you know, so long as it was fine and you were helping me and all that, I tolerated you. But the minute it's no longer, you're not really producing the goods, I would sooner kill you as look at you. So his little nice. his little request <laughs> that he work harder to solve the problem yeah. had yeah. a lot more teeth in it, and it was great. So I'm watching it. This is great, but I had no idea what he felt about it. So mm -hmm. uh, I go on and you know direct the next uh, several scenes and, and whatever. And a couple of days later, I'm in. I take my laundry into the to the wardrobe trailer to throw it in the the clothes washers, and the wardrobe supervisor is there, and she comes over and says, "Hey, uh, I, I call him Max in the book. That's not his name." Max uh, really likes working with you. And I say, oh, that's nice to hear. I mean, he hadn't said a word to me, but yeah. that's nice to hear. And then she said, yeah, he said you're the first director to give him a note. And that was a great lesson for me because, yeah. you know, it's like people were intimidated by him. Yeah. You know? And he's, you know, rarely needs a note. He's, he's, you know, brilliant, but sometimes he does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing above your pay grade as director, you have to take responsibility for everything. You have to work through those kind of excruciating right. moments. Yeah. And the way through it, I think, is to realize you have to serve the story. You're yeah. the storyteller. Yeah. If you let something go, if you let something be less good because of whatever reason, that's on you. And it's a difference between serving one's ego versus the story. Absolutely. So it's yeah. like, the way you approach it, if it's about the story itself, it will never come across as, oh, well, like, I just know better, you know, because mm -hmm. that's where that's the line, you know, where it becomes serving the ego versus the yeah. story. I mean, one thing I, I believe, too, and I mentioned it as well in the book is when you direct, you also always have to be both storyteller and holding the vision, but you also have to be part audience at the same time. You have to know how is this yeah. landing? And so that you have to put yourself, and I have to put myself in the position like, yeah, yeah, I know all about the story, but I'm going to pretend I don't know anything other than what I'm seeing. And what I saw in the previous two scenes is to say the third scene. I don't, you know, it's like, that's something I also think is, a, is often an unacknowledged uh, requirement, responsibility to, to do effective storytelling, is you have to establish context. Because if you don't establish context, a performance might, a, a, an actor might, you know, 
act act incredibly beautifully on something but if you don't know what's at stake if you don't know what yeah. where they came from if you're not just within their character but mm -hmm. in terms of the story if you don't know what his or her situation was leading up to it it's it yeah you follow it oh that's interesting but you don't get the full emotional impact so the director the storyteller has to acquaint the audience with everything subtle things it does not necessarily things hit over your head with but just what's the feeling in this room right now that she is saying these lines what what's the, what who where are these other characters that she's being so bold as to say something in front of them what are their issues because if you don't know that she's just an actor saying lines but if, <laughs> yeah. if you know oh my god she's saying it in the presence of someone who just you know did something you yeah know, you know so so it's it's a beautiful beautiful complex art and you know another reason i i loved writing the book i hoped that it's going to appeal not just to directors and actors but just fans of tv to kind of take them inside you know, I tell the book is really not a how-to book. It's really sharing a lot of my experiences. Mm -hmm. and but I think that's the most yeah, I try best to, way to learn. Thank yeah. you. I just try to put yeah. people in my chair and I say, well, this is yeah. what the challenge was. And this is what happened. And the actor made this choice or the cameraman made this observation. Or, you know, I wasn't happy with the writing about this. So how do I solve it? Right. And I just tried to take people through a step. So I hope people kind of are just fans of TV will find it interesting. I hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a bunch of great stories either way. Um, mm -hmm. So I totally agree. And I love that you started um, with some acting classes in your background mm -hmm. and studying that. And then, if I recall correctly, you went on to AD for directors like Francis Coppola. Right, right. I was in, I was, well, after I... Uh... AD is assistant directing, <laughs> if you're not in the film, no. Yeah, after, after uh, I... You know, it felt to me I came to directing late. I was in my mid-20s. How late is that? But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I was an English major. I got into law school. I didn't want to do that. I started acting to kind of free myself, fell in love with that, you know. Um, but uh, I, wound, I wound up at UCLA Film School in an MFA program, film directing, and I didn't really have a thesis film I wanted to make, mm. and I didn't want to be a career film student and just hang out there forever. And I thought, well, how can I, until I kind of have the film I want to make, what I thought maybe it would be useful to become an assistant director, not really knowing what an assistant director did, thinking, oh, you assist in the directing. Yes, right. that's exactly how and I you, thought it was yeah. at first. <laughs> so I, I understand. Mean, the problem with directing not of that. any kind is you get thrown into the deep end first time. It's like you can't, like for, you know, uh, directing a, an episode of a, of a series, you know, it's like you don't get to direct a little on one episode and then kind of work your way up. To, okay, I'll take the whole episode. No, <laughs> no. no, you go from having none of the responsibility to having all of the responsibility. Yeah. So it's it's a real uh, interesting challenge. But when but I I thought well I'll work as an I'll try to work as an assistant director and I was fortunate to get into a program that the Directors Guild of America runs called the DGA Assistant Directors Training Program. Mm -hmm. And they get guaranteed, they put you on jobs for oh, wow. 400 days. It's like whatever, if you work continuously, as I was fortunate to do, it's like a year and a half. Did you have to be still in school to be a no, part of that you program? No, it it's a very difficult program to get into. They they interview you, take tests wow. and all that. So I was fortunate to get in. That's amazing. But then they assign you to things. And then after you get in the requisite days, 400 for me then, then you get a guild card and became a second assistant director, what's called. So I did the trainee job and second assistant director job for like two years each, a total of like four years. And um, I was fortunate to work on some amazing projects. As a trainee assistant director, I worked on Airplane. 
oh, the original fun. airplane, oh, which God. was unbelievably fun. Yeah, uh, and as a second assistant director, I worked for Steven Spielberg on E.T., the extraterrestrial, oh, wow. and on wow. Francis Coppola's uh, movie One from the Heart. Mm-hmm. I also worked for a very famous uh, old school director named Sam Fuller, who did a lot of films in the 40s and 50s. This yeah. is, I think, his last film I worked on for him. And, and George Miller, who did Mad Max. I didn't work on Mad Max, but I worked on some other things. So right. mm-hmm. I had a great experience, wow. you know. Learning about set operations, learning about filmmaking, but not so much from the creative side, more kind of the, the operational. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. And uh, that was that gave me great training, and I also got to see some great directors at work. Now, right. I will say, and this is advice for anyone who may want to direct and gets the opportunity to maybe shadow or watch someone. I didn't do something I really wish I had done, and I tell anybody who shadows me now to do it which is I didn't uh, try to figure out how I would direct particular scenes before I saw how Coppola or Spielberg or Vim mm, Vendors did, mm-hmm. you know, did it. And mm. uh, it's like, because you don't really know the problems. It's like the audience. It's like, it's like I th- expect reading the books. People yeah. watch a show and say, oh, that's that show. But you don't realize how many choices, infinite choices go in and decisions have to be made and where how am I going to stage the actors and where am I going to put the camera and what's the critical, how, how come that? Oh, I have m- questions for you on yeah, all of that. Yeah. They're coming. Yeah. They're coming. Because how, you know, it's like, uh, boy, the camera was just in the right position at that moment when she had that revelation and there was that behind her and this, that. how did that just happen? Well, it didn't just happen. You know, it's like all of those things are decisions you have to make and you have to figure it out mostly in prep, but, and then you have to be the better prepared. You are the more open you are to suggestions and, more flexible, I find you can be on the set. So, uh, you know, that, that all of that gave me a greater understanding of that stuff. Yeah. Carolina, I'm so glad we started using Vitafair. Should we tell the FemFam about it? Absolutely, Tessa. I mean, we were able to upload our short film for less than $6, and we can charge whatever we want for a 24-hour rental. That's right. We could have charged 20 bucks per view if we wanted, but we decided to go with their micro-pricing model, which makes it a fair price for viewers and still makes us more money than the competitors that only pay out cents per hour of viewing instead of per rental. Plus, our audience doesn't have to pay for a subscription. It's really a win-win for both sides. Fair trade film monetization. Vidafair. Live in fairness with video. After I'd done this work as an assistant director, I I could have moved up to what's called first assistant director. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I knew I didn't want to be an assistant director. I wanted to direct. So I went yeah. back to UCLA. I I did then have a, a film I wanted to make that could be my thesis film. And I made a short uh, half-hour dramatic comedy. It's funny, I'd just finished doing E.T. the previous uh, uh, winter, and uh, I, in my short film, Drew Barrymore, who was just six, was actually in it. And she <laughs> oh, was in so it. Fun. I filmed it in February of 82. It was before E.T. got released in May. So she was in it, and, uh, and it was, I thought, a really nice little film. Won a bunch of film festivals, got me my master's, but it also put me on the map, kind of. I got yeah. an agent out of it, and I got hired. So you guys short films? Yeah, they yeah, work. yeah. They still do. It, and probably many of the same festivals uh, you guys are taking years to. I mean, I went to Telluride, and there's some, and, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, San Francisco, won the San Francisco and the Chicago film festivals. And it was that. amazing. Um, but it got me an agent, and uh, an agent who was known for finding good young directors, and Dino De Laurentiis, a famous producer, uh 
had a Stephen King horror film he wanted to make, and he Ooh. wanted to do it for a price, meaning didn't want to pay the director very much. Yeah. So he went to this particular <laughs> agent who had some you know, good young directors yeah. by reputation, and I wound up getting hired for that. So my first job was Stephen King's Silver Bullet. came out in 85. Wow. And uh, it was a great experience, difficult challenge. As a director. As a director, yeah. Okay. Um, but horror films were not my thing. Mm -hmm. I, I did my best with it, and I think it did fine. But but I was offered more horror films. And I didn't want to do that. And because uh, it is a very specific. I was going to say they pigeonhole kind of you real yeah. quick. Yeah. Well, as as you know from I'm sure acting experience, that's that is a hard thing to break out of. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever you do well, people yeah. want to want no risk. Yeah. They say, okay, let's get that person because they're and actors have that trouble all, all the, time. the time. They do yeah. a great performance as like a psycho killer, and they say, oh, they're great as psycho killers. That's the only thing they can do, <laughs> you know. So it's very frustrating. <laughs> and I, you know, when I started my uh, television directing work, I'll answer. The, I'll get back to that other question yeah, in a yeah, second. Yeah. But I, I did a lot of what what were considered dramas. I did in those days. David Kelly had a lot of shows. He's still making great shows, but he had Ally McBeal and The Practice and some others. I did a show I loved called Northern Exposure, but even that was considered drama because it was an hour-long single camera. It was just the category for the Emmys was drama. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really considered for comedies, even though The Sopranos was, I thought, hilarious and Northern Exposure. Until, <laughs> yeah, subjectively, yeah. more so a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a dark comedy. Yeah, a dark comedy. Say. Yeah. A dark comedy. Yeah. And, uh, and the turn for me came when the show Entourage came around and they loved The Sopranos and wanted directors. They wanted the humor to be reality-based. Mm. So I got hired for Entourage. I did Makes 10 sense. of those, got Emmy nominations for it. And then suddenly people, oh, Dan can do comedy. So then I'm that opened that door. <laughs> yeah. So now I've done, I mean, I was one of the producer directors. I mean, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia at the very beginning. Mm. And, yeah. And I've done, you know, a lot of comedy since. So I've been able to go back and forth. But back to the feature thing, you know, I I had got a bit pigeonholed as the as for horror, mm -hmm. and uh, but I also I said no. I'm my next film is going to be you know it's going to reflect my sensibility, <laughs> and uh, and I was very choosy and not not tons of opportunities came my way and and I always assumed well I'm going to write and that I, the blank page did not <laughs> was not my friend and. Uh, <laughs> And I, I wound up just kind of, you know, developing a few things. And, and as that process was kind of difficult, television came along and I thought, well, okay, it'll be a placeholder. It'll be something I could at least learn a little technique. And I just started doing it. Uh, I still kept my hand in trying to, you know, find development deals and things like that. And there's, you know, it's called development hell for a reason. You can <laughs> have a development deal that goes on for years. Television was so great because you'd make a show and it would be on within a few months and yeah. and actually more people would see it than see the features. And if it were a great show like Sopranos, then people were talking about it and it was like a fun exchange. Yeah. yeah. And rewatching it for yeah. years to come. Yeah. Sopranos, though, I mean, I, I worked for a lot of years before Sopranos and mm -hmm. that was when it was, you know, I was really trying to get a feature, but I was honing my craft mm. and I was finding that, gee, I really, it's really interesting to me, this process of not being able to control, having to accept a lot of givens, given elements. Okay, this is a script. This is a story. This is, this is what you're, you know, have to deal with. And it was a little bit like acting because it was like, you know, as an actor, you come in, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, you, you you're hemmed in by a lot of things, yeah. and you can regard that as a limitation or mm -hmm. an opportunity, as a way to like, mm -hmm. okay, how can I find myself within this role? And I kind of approached directing as I still do in the same way. It's like, it's it's like. 
okay, let me understand everything about this world I'm entering as a director, this particular show. Let me learn its language so I can speak it in my voice. Mm -hmm. You know, not just mimic something, but then find right. myself in it. Just like an actor would. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 also there's tremendous growth opportunities because it's like, what can I discover within myself that can help me connect to this material? Yeah. yeah. So that became the thing I love most. And then also the golden age of television happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so and I was right there at the beginning of it because I did, you know, the Sopranos from the very get go because I, yeah. I had met David Chase on uh Northern Exposure, and he called me to do the first episode after the pilot, which was done like nine months before they went to pick went to series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I just found Nirvana with that. You know, unfortunately <laughs> or fortunately, I had also at that before he even offered that, I just accepted a two year job as a producer director on a show called Party of Five. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I couldn't, I found that I got to squeeze no. in the one episode <laughs> and then I was not available for, you know, years, yeah. but yeah. I did come back and do a few more. But, but what the Sopranos did, and I, I talk about it a little bit in the book is it opened up, you know, is what we all know and love and what television can be. And I now regard it as like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to even fathom. There are of course some great feature films, but it seems like, God, how can they, tell a great story in an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, right. don't you need 20 hours or 50 hours to, <laughs> yeah. to get all the nuance and everything that these great shows can do? So anyway. That's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. And because your book subtitle is The New Age. The Insi new, Inside TV's in, New Golden Age. New Golden yeah. Age. Yeah. Or do you mean that by the subscription-based kind of platforms that we see today? It, or what's your definition that of that? That's, those are definitely included in it. It's not necessarily the delivery system, even though I think the delivery system kind of makes possible what's right. one of these uh, what great is, shows. Yeah. But it's kind of the uh, shows that are, first of all, generally they're more serialized. It's not like the Law and Order one, this is it. <laughs> right, it's like, right. It's like they, it's a big canvas. It's like a big novel. So you're, you're so each show is kind of a chapter in it, and the shows being not network, they don't require the most eyeballs. They don't require. It's like they're they're not dependent oh. on commercial revenue, so they mm -hmm. don't have to appeal to the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. They can take chances. They can know, wow, if there's a really smart group out there that's yeah. gonna really appreciate this sophisticated kind of humor or look at something, we're gonna make it because if we can get all of those people, we're a hit. Yeah. Or if there's right. a you know. So uh, so that's what I think these streaming services and cable services, you know, were able to tap into. But mm -hmm. the result was, you know, sp storytellers, the writers who were the storytellers could start thinking more uh, uh, creatively, not, not to be so formulaic. They could think they could give more nuance to their characters. They don't have to be so clear cut who's good, who's bad, you know, beginning, middle and end. It all gets tied up. There's always more nuance, and, and I think that's what we all love. We kind yes. Of see, oh, my God, watch that happen. So that's that's one way to think about, I think about the golden age. Yeah, I love that because I know I personally get frustrated with sitcom-style shows. Like anything with a laugh track, I'm like, I'm probably not going to like this. Right, but, right. you know, of course, that was so popular for so long because that's what appealed mm -hmm. to, like, middle America, quote-unquote, and just, you know, the general population. Right. And like you said, now it's it's opened up a world where we can take chances right. as storytellers right. and we can tell so many different kinds of stories that are still going to, going to appeal to a lot of people. But it's going to be different, like specific kind of groups of people. Right. And yeah, so that I is think, that's really I think awesome. People now can 
Yeah, what you describe had its place and does still have its place for people who just kind of want to be entertained and sit down mm-hmm. with, oh, I know it's Archie It's the feel Bunker, good. Yeah. Know, yeah, we yeah. want to know, yeah. we know the ending. We're but just going to laugh. Right. And not to say it's bad. It's just not my day. Right. It's just <laughs> not your cup of tea. Yeah. I, I think the newer shows, though, what they offer us all is a, is a chance to recognize ourselves a little bit in it. Some yeah. of the, we can relate it to our own lives. Mm-hmm. We can also get vicarious experiences that maybe we're not so eager to have but we'd like to see what it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's more it's generally more i want to say reality based even though there are a lot of shows that are kind of wild and out there but they i bet even those for the most part touch on something that's kind of real that somebody Mm -hmm. people i know that i know that wacky zany kind of stuff or i know you know it it, they're not it's it's not i think the audiences get more engaged themselves than just going to get, okay, feed me some more. Oh, let me see that funny bit again. Oh, that's so funny right. when he says that line that mm-hmm. way. You know, that has its limits. Sometimes it's perfect. Sometimes it's what you need. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I completely agree. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's so exciting, I think, about um, having the opportunity to explore uh, television style writing. Episodic is the word I'm looking for. For like our viewers who are probably more so independent filmmakers. Yeah. But I think even in thinking of what I want to maybe produce and do, it's just like, don't limit yourself and and find you can still like, I'm sure we'll all discover our own path like you did. Maybe film tele, like film producing, it takes such a long time, like you said. And so it's just something to consider, something yeah. to explore and, and write and like we have another script that we go back and forth on all the time. Like, should this be a tele- television series mm-hmm. or should it be a film? And I don't know. Do you have any predictions on how the the film movie theater? I hope it doesn't die out. I don't think it will. But it just I think it's I don't harder. think it will either, because I think the experience is different. so There's yeah. something mm. amazing about sitting in a yes. darkened room with other people and having this communal experience. I don't know. I don't I'd be surprised if it reaches the same level that had been before because yeah. there's so many other opportunities to watch but i'd say i mean i love independent films i grew up you know i mean <laughs> film, independent films of the 70s were just to me that's that was my that's what i want to do that's mm-hmm. what, you know um, yeah i will say that you know i find you know it's what you bring to each project that and i think you can bring a similar spirit of the ind- independent filmmaking to whatever you're working on i mean and yeah. I don't want I don't want to romanticize that too much because clearly you are limited when you're doing a series. You, you there is a lot of givens you have to kind of ex, uh, accept. But I think it's very possible, particularly with better shows, to have that same sense of let's really dig deep. Let's really scratch below the surface. Let's find what we care about. Yeah. Uh and uh let's let's not do it the way everybody else did it. You know, it's true that you might have a visual language you have to uh, honor when you come into a show. But I think uh, it's, I certainly feel I'm I'm entering each show really trying to bring a part of myself to the telling and discover a part of myself that is that is can get activated through this through right. this story, which is I kind of associate with independent filmmaking also. Mm-hmm. Totally, because that is usually the norm. Is you're, you you yeah. are just directing an episode here or yeah. there, yeah. a few episodes. Right. Um, because that's it seems like it's so much to for yourself exactly into so to like step away like for someone who's tuning in who's like i'd love to like 
direct this whole story that yeah. I've written and envisioned. Yeah. yeah. That's probably doesn't well, sound. That's, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's television is regarded as kind of the showrunner's medium. It's right. like, it's like in features kind of in certain way, director is right. kind of king or queen in, in series television, it's more the showrunner. Which mm -hmm. is what I kind of yeah. learned more reading your book. Yeah. Um, but so. Right. But what's, what I hope I dispel is the idea that nobody else is creative or nobody or the directors don't really do their job. Mm -hmm. We all do. And it's like, and it's like, mm -hmm. you know, this, you have to serve as the director, you have to serve the vision of the show in there. However, you know, you can enrich it, you can add to it, you know, so long as you're getting uh, agreement, if you want to make certain changes or take something in a, what seems to you a more interesting direction, it's a dialogue with the showrunner. They yeah. have to, you know, similar to like if an actor wants to play something a certain way, they'll mm -hmm. come to me as the director and mm -hmm. want to explore that. And if I feel, okay, that serving Sounds story, like a good choice. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it's somewhat similar. Okay. But also, uh, you know, it's like the director, unlike the showrunner, is the one who has to make it come alive in the doing of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you as actors know. I mean, it's like, it's not the lines. It's not, you know, it's like you have to, you, you're the one who has to kind of feel when has life happened? Yeah. When, when has <laughs> an interesting <laughs> thing happened? You know, it's like you can write all you want about uh, how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, right. The best, and the best writing is often very spare, very, uh, because it's, the meaning is in the subtext a lot of the time. So, you know, it's like who is going to be in charge? It's the director and the actors. of, And also it's other Departments contribute too, by the way. It's lit and all those kind of things. Yeah. But uh, the actual life happening, mm. you know, is not the writers can't do that. They're, they're, it's the it's the director on set with the actors just to make that. And often, and I detail a couple of examples in the book. Often, I find you know I have to try to discover things that the writers may not have thought about because they they have an idea of how something works, but if it doesn't feel to me that it's really working, I have to come up with other ways mm -hmm. to create the feeling they want, to make the story point they want. But it may require an entirely different subtext for the actors or, an right. or you know, so. Yeah. I mean, I think that happens a lot too with writers who um, who only write, who don't actually like produce or, you know, Direct. Yeah, or yeah. they're not on set with a director or whatever, um, is they'll write things that, they don't realize are unfilmable or difficult to film, you know? So like, that's of course like the like almost technical side of it. But then like you're saying the subtext of that too, it's like sometimes they write yeah. something that is either too obvious and you need to pull back and like have that just be subtext or it's like, what is the subtext behind this? And so just something to think about if you guys are writers and strictly writers is, <laughs> yeah. you know, think about actually producing. These well, things. also, as you as you're implying, I think, stay open yeah. to the input of people. Like if if, Absolutely. if a director comes to you and says, uh, this feels overwritten or actors often will say that, you know, or I'll watch a scene and I'll think, boy, there's there's just 20 percent too much dialogue here. I'm not feeling what they want. You know, there's a kind of verbal artistry that, yeah, it kind of reads very great, but it's like, you know, they're, they're saying a little too much. I'm no longer feeling this character is really feeling the feelings they want to feel. Mm. Like, why would they go on after some, you know, there's certain, so the writer has to be developed, hopefully, sensitivity in their own writing, but open to the input from people. And when a director comes and now there's other problems too, like you say, they write things, sometimes it can't be done. So 
part of my in my prep period as a director you know you'll have seven or eight days to prep an episode and it has to, i was just going to ask what to fit, how long it has to have? fit into the the budgetary template of like saying okay we have eight days to shoot this episode and we're budgeted for 12 hour shooting days so we have 96 hours and it has to be then or we're over budget and then, you know, the writers can write something, but then during the prep period, there's a whole process of the assistant directors and production manager and director working to kind of hammer out a schedule. And it's like, you can't just say, okay, we'll make it all fit because you have to do it. Certain quality has to be right. If it's going to take more time, then, then you have to say, okay, we're going to need some script relief or we're going to need more time. Mm-hmm. And then it's a, then it's kind of a, you come back to the writers and the best showrunners are the ones who can accept reality and kind of come up with creative solutions. And the best directors are the ones who cannot be so quick to say we can't do something, but try to be imaginative about how perhaps it can be done. Yeah. Yes. And start to think of creative solutions. That's something that the writers, it's not their area. Correct. But the yeah. director can think of st- interesting staging, interesting uh, ways of doing it. That's why TV terrifies me a little bit <laughs> because there is such that like yeah. quick turnover and and solving those problems and but it that can be really exciting too. Great adrenaline rush. That's yeah, right. absolutely. It's very stressful, but man, when you do it, it's nothing like it. You're a, yeah. you're a man yeah. who loves to live on the edge, Dan. Yeah, there it, there you go, there you go. Yeah. Do you get um, how much rehearsal time, if any, sometimes? How does? Uh, yeah, rehearsal is really an interesting. Um, <laughs> situation you know really almost you know if there are certain times i'll read a script and or i'll or it'll be the in a certain the life of the show something momentous is happening a really long scene with you know really complicated emotional beats that uh-huh. i will ask you know it'd be great if i could rehearse with the actors during my prep you know before we get there that's so rare it's mm-hmm. so rare most of the time you get on and uh you know you have about 15 minutes to rehearse the scene and you know what Often rehearsal happens as you're shooting. Yeah, it's like rehearsal might be the first take. That know? makes sense. But but it's not. Uh, I, I you know I'll always have. You have to get the staging. You have to get the blocking. You have to get. See, that's what terrifies me. And that that has to happen. <laughs> yeah, it has to happen very yeah. quickly. That's why for me, uh, prep is so critical because I have to have a staging in mind. I have to fully understand the emotional beats. I have to understand the shape of each scene. What's the key turning point? Where do I, where am I, what's my visual plan for that? So I have to have a staging in mind, but I don't want to be dictatorial. I don't want to come in mm. and say, you stand here, you stand here, you cross on that line. It's like, that doesn't help the actors embody it. So what I, my process is generally, we get on stage, uh, I, I'm armed already with a lot of knowledge, I have, but I don't over, I try not to overwhelm the actors. I say, let's just read the lines. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing, because it's like on series television, you know, you're working at such a fast pace and you're shooting out of sequence yeah. and all that. So you do, okay, we just finished that scene. Now let's read the lines on this one. You know, they may not, likely aren't aware, wait, where are we in the story? You know, so, yeah. so or it's like, or, or just learning the lines. Yeah. It's like they may have just focused on their own lines. And so reading the lines just lets them hear everybody's lines. At least I'm going to hear, okay, their you voice say, oh, and you're going like, to hear that. Yeah. And that, what that does is it starts to activate the juices without any judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I try to do is create as safe an environment as possible for the actors to trust themselves to see what wants to arise. But you have to, again, prepare them so that their choices are coming out of connection to story. You can't just say, okay, let's go to here. What do you want to do? Let's read the line and you cross whenever you want. Well, if they're not into the scene yet, they're going to start doing things just kind of maybe arbitrarily. And then it's then you're going to have to unwind that. No, no, that's not. Yeah. So I try to get people really to read the lines first 
And then I'll say, okay, now let's see what you want to do. And I'll, and I'll first, and I'll, I maybe give them some parameters. Like I'll say, you yeah. know, Tessa, why don't you enter from that over there? And, you know, Caroline, why don't you start here? And then, you know, and, and then where I watch is kind of critical because without saying this is where the camera is, mm-hmm. the actors will kind of tend to want to play it towards me. Oh, so they'll just, okay. their own juices will kind of tell them. But I haven't said a word yet about the camera. <laughs> so hopefully they're finding things. And hopefully they're finding either what I imagined, because I've, I've kind of acted it out in my head. Right. My acting experience to see what makes sense. If I had this intention, what would I do? Hopefully they'll find something similar or better. Something, oh, I never thought of that. That's genius. They wanted to do that. Great. That's what we're going to do. That is so But I haven't smart. said anything yet. Still. Yeah. You're just now, letting when, them see right. their impulses. And if I find it, but it all has to be done quickly. But if I sure. find there's there's snags and it's mm-hmm. not happening, on a, or my, again, how does this make me feel? I'm not paying attention. I'm bored. I got to, you know, then I'll come in and maybe make suggestions. But this all has to happen. And hopefully I'll get a buy in, but mainly because I'm appealing always on the basis of, the story we're telling and the yeah. character's intention. I said, you know, this moment where you really, you know, don't, you know, you're hiding something from her and everything. And that might be a good point for you to kind of turn away and go make yourself a cup of tea so you don't have to face her. You know, just kind of, you don't know what you're going to say next. Maybe that walk over to make the tea would be something motivated, like you're yeah. collecting your thoughts. You know, something that would help the actor embody the intention, mm-hmm. which right. is always what I'm hoping for. I mean, I like when a scene, when you can turn down the sound on a scene and watch it and kind of understand it just by the behavior, because it's always more interesting, I think. I think performances are better, tend to be better when they're embodied, because the body is such a exquisite organ of expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that yeah, in your yeah, book. Yeah. And would it help a director to maybe, as an exercise, like watch a scene without the audio on and just study the the physical movements in it yeah and just get acquainted with your own what do i do when i'm this or what is what do i notice uh you know how does a really uh you know arrogant person stand how does a depressed person stand it's like you know your physicality that's an acting tip too i mean it's like how you are physically motion can produce emotion Mm -hmm. it's like you know i've heard it said you know it's hard to be depressed if you're smiling you know, it's like if you make yourself do certain things physically, it, it has a, you know. So anyway, I try to, I try where I can to suggest physic, physical staging and stuff. I, I love it when an actor finds it themselves. Uh, I'll try to make sure the set has opportunities for, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have to figure out in advance, you know, what a physical action might be that also gets the actors off just thinking of the lines. I knew yeah. that I found that out in my own acting experience. I loved it when I had something to do. I remember I took an acting class from a great teacher and and I was doing Mercutio's speech. He has a famous speech in Romeo and Juliet where he talks about Queen Mab. He's telling Romeo, oh, you're just up in your head. He's like, oh, it's like Queen Mab. And he starts talking about this fantasy, this fairy queen. And it's mm-hmm. like he's trying to, he's, and he says, it's nothing. It's just words, you know? Yeah. And I was thinking, I was doing the lines and the guy said, you got anything in your, anything you do physically? And I said, well, I got a basketball in my car and I could kind of, twirl it on my feet go get it and it's like i you know i started just holding the finger and i was doing yeah. the lines and it was the best performance i gave because it's like you know you're doing something and you're you've done the prep work so it's in you mm-hmm. but then you can forget about it focus on a physical task and it yeah. comes, tends to come out in a freer more real way so those are some just it's some like it's not things. the performance it's not just like focused on the performance itself right. anymore right Right. And that's what we all just try to embody, just the reality of the situation. Yeah. That's why it's yeah. so hard, I find, uh, 
when actors are forced or sometimes circumstances require that they just sit still and talk, say if you're at a dinner table or something mm -hmm. and you're right. sitting, but it's very hard. It's harder to motivate all of the reactions one wants within a scene just in your cerebral thinking, okay, now she said that, I'm thinking this, wait, I'm going to make a transition now. If you say, eh, i got to think in my head, what am I thinking about? Oh, now I'm going to come back. Yeah. As opposed to having it be physical, having having their opportunity Maybe that's why dating away. can be so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? That's a good, you know, you should go bowling or something. On a first exactly, yeah, an right. activity, guys. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's actually, I'll admit to this, because um, you just reminded me, like when I was studying acting in college um, and we learned about body language and the physicality yeah. and I like, <laughs> I tested it out on a date once. I was just like, not, I I don't know if I was actually mad at the person or I just wanted to mess around because that's <laughs> what we do as actors sometimes. And I just remember I created a physical barrier in the middle like in the middle of our conversation just i think i just like literally just something simple like putting my arm down and creating this like line and he felt it he was of like is something wrong <laughs> and i was like "Ooh, this is cool <laughs> <laughs> this is why people don't like to date actors <laughs> we're just uh test the limits sometimes <laughs> and that's it's so great though because it's like if you do have an opportunity to rehearse i mean that's great to explore you know mm -hmm. something like give the actors something you know, something that might feel arbitrary, but that feeds into the emotional reality. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're a character with barrier, with defenses or barriers, you know, make the person like act, let's rehearse the scene anyways, see if we can find something with a physical barrier there. It's like, you want to get to her, but you can't, you know, what does that do? You know? And it, yeah. Now those are kind of wonderful kind of exercises you can do when you're stage rehearsing or you have more time mm -hmm. in series television. You don't really have that kind of time generally. But you do have time to find the beats. And, and as I say, you know, that's why you generally like to start shooting with the widest shot, the master, because that's not likely to be the one where the heavy emotional beats are going to be. So it's kind of like a way for the actors to get their juices flowing. So right. on repeated viewing uh, performances, they're finding more subtlety. They're finding more nuance in what they're mm -hmm. doing. And hopefully when you get into the tighter coverage, it's a more compelling performance. Yeah. I think sometimes it's, at least I know it's frustrating for me as an actor that it's, um, you know, if you're starting with the wide shot, you have the freedom to move and such a little bit more. If you're going into a close up, you know, you don't want all that movement. It's a nightmare for the editor kind of thing. But then you also have to remember, okay, what did I do physically? Because it's got to now match in this shot. And like, it's just so many things to think about and process and remember. And meanwhile, you're trying to have your head clear yes. to be able to have That's those scripty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I guess. Right. Like, because as an actor, it's, yeah, that's a, it's a lot. It, it's like, a lot. It's, yeah. Acting is a tremendously challenging and interesting job. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you've identified one of them. It's like, and I think, you know, most actors do well. I mean, sometimes the physicality can help them match because, you know, they're, uh, mm. but it can also be Limited. difficult. It's like if I reach for my T with my left hand in one take and then the other take, I'm going with my right hand. Right. Well, it doesn't match. So it, it really handcuffs the editing. Yeah. You have to play it all in one shot. You can't intercut where you might want to. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's a skill. That's something actors really have to, you can really tell the, I mean, it's so interesting to me. You know, I get on these sets of these good shows and I marvel at how good everybody is. And it's like, you know, even the slightest, 
you know, thing that someone doesn't do quite well, it kind of, oh, wait, we got to do it again because of that. You think, wow, I mean, the people who rise to the level of working a lot have really, you know, done a lot of inner work and a lot of practice and all that. Same with actors. I mean, you can, if someone has no awareness of where they're moving in space, they don't know where they did what or how they did it. You know, sometimes they're very, they get very fresh performances because they're maybe just, they're very just in, in, intuitive and impulsive and all yeah. that. And it can be great. And then you have to adjust how you shoot it. And, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but it, you really appreciate it when someone really has a sense, has that, it's so cha- it's so fascinating to me, the acting process. Someone can be so open to their inner channel, to what they're discovering at the same time. They have another part of their mind, which is aware that Clocking they, in when they were the... saying that line, they raised their left hand and kept it just like this. And then they dropped it just like that at that moment. Yeah. And they know it. But that's why you have script supervisors. Because yeah. they're making notes and all that kind of stuff. It's such a, like, a fun world. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. acting is the, I think for both of us, the, the most enjoyment. And we mm-hmm. love it so much. But um, like we've always said on the show, like learning about what's going on around you two in the production space has made us more aware and better at what we do Yeah, um, on that level. Because... It's just you you then respect what the director is giving you as a note and mm-hmm. like or what the script is saying. And like you said, those who have who have trained and worked a lot in the industry, they just become aware and like and it doesn't become as overwhelming then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and know, the challenge the is as you become more aware of the technical side, never to lose sight of the real gold, which is your truth, how truthful you can be. Absolutely. In your performance and really be with the moments and all that. So it's a complicated thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all complicated, man. <laughs> directing. Directing. Ooh, you got to love it. it if you want to do it. That's oh for sure. Oh, my God. I know. Where um, are we at? But I would love to get into, so for our Patreons, which are our donors, mm-hmm. um, we want to do kind of just a little, a most rapid fire question section. That'll be just for them. Okay. Um, so just a couple really simple questions. Um this is for you, Patreons. We yes. love you. Thank you for always supporting us. Um, and Dan, thank you again for coming on the show today. Oh, this, this has been, been, been fun. For me. I'm glad. It's yeah. been fun for us, for us too. too. It's been yeah. super insightful. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.